Greetings. Good morning, Jim. I hear there you are. How you doing, Andrew? Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there's not, if you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. As you're doing that, um, Sean messed up and he forgot to announce season. My goodness. That would be Sean's family over there. Seasons of Sorrow, there is a change in schedule, and they are not meeting on the 10th. Is that true, Suzanne? You're not meeting? They are meeting on the 10th. September is next. Okay, it's next. No, I didn't say not. Okay, so anyway, they are not meeting tomorrow night. They are meeting on the 10th. So, Also, a serious note. First of all, we had a great time at the uh, men's retreat last week. I really feel, as usual, God did a great work, and seems to me the men were blessed. I was blessed, and uh, just want to say thank you to everyone who worked so hard to see it come to pass, and it was a good thing. Um, also, uh, I went and visited a young man who is bedridden. Um, his name's D'Angelo, and uh, on Friday, and we were talking, and um, he's he, he can hardly talk. He's hooked to a, a respirator and all. And um, he said he wanted to come to church. And I, I told him that, hey, just let me know what we would need to do and we'll make it you know, available to you. And I don't know if that is, is even possible. But then he asked me, are you guys, do you guys have service online? And I said, well, yeah. And you know, he's got a TV there. I go, you can watch it online. So D'Angelo, if you're watching, we want to say hi. Other than that, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, First Peter chapter 1. We've done two studies all the way through to verse 4, but I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and today we'll go all the way to verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Father, or grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 
receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, Father, as we are the ones whom you have called, we're the ones whom you have saved, I pray, Father, that once again we would gather from your Scripture this wisdom and these realities for our lives, that, Father, we would be prepared for every good work. Minister this Minister to this church today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, the last time that we met, we saw Peter's expression of praise in the doxology that is in verses 3 and 4. This is to understand that, that the calling and election that God has bestowed upon us is according to his good grace and the divine knowledge of God. This is something, as I pointed out in that study, that is even beyond us. And then really verses 3 through 4 are parenthetical. The apostle Peter, he breaks out in this doxology or this praise of God based upon what God has done and how he meets mankind in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulation. If you look at verse 2, just joining verses 2 and 5, together says we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now I'm not taking verse and three Uh, verses 3 and 4. I mean, we dedicated a whole service to it out of the equation, but I just want you to continue on in the thought process that Peter has for us. And so really what we'll be looking at today is verses 6 through 9, really 5 through 9, with the theme already stated that we are elect, that we are God's people and God is able to keep us as we go through the trials and tribulations of life, as we go through the hardship. Unless, I don't know, is there anybody here who never has trials or tribulations? Is there anybody here who's never had hardship in, enter into their life? Raise your hand because i really like to meet you and find out what you're doing to do that. I, I think this message relates to us all. Matter of fact, if we took a poll today, I'm sure we'd be in, in agreement that difficulty, overwhelmingness, trouble, that's, our lives are the big part of that. We're told in Job chapter 5, verse 7, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward as the natural phenomena that heat rises. As surely man is born to trouble. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this is also a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind or for nothingness? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, he's looking at life apart from a relationship with God. And he's just seeing, you know, with all of this hardship, with all the difficulty that goes on in this life, even for Solomon, who, who achieved all of the wealth, well, more wealth than anybody else who ever has, He's just saying, this is vanity. This is just grasping for the wind. There's no substance to life if there's, no, if there's no relationship with God. And God does not minister to his people. And so, as we all live in this reality, whether believer or unbeliever concerning hardship, it's the believer that is strengthened by God in the midst of his trouble. It's that place that God meets us in a way that nobody else is able to meet us. It's when we're going through those difficult days that our senses of the, and awareness of the presence of God are sharpened. 
It's then that we understand the, the, the dedication and the passion that a believer is able to have in prayer, because I know my passionate prayers have been even so much more as I'm going through the difficult day. The awareness of the Word of God and the reality that God speaks to us through His Word, we see that as we're going through the hard time and the difficult day as well. And it's what it is, it's the Spirit that speaks to our soul, that ministers to us. Why? Because you're God's child, and God is able to keep you as you go through those difficulties. We are even to find contentment in the midst of our trials. First Timothy 6.6, 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment means that there's nothing else to be added to your life. And the context is as far as a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I can have contentment in the fun times and the good times, but how much more so is our faith of value to us? Now, for salvation, there's no doubt about that, but even for today, as I'm able to find contentment as I go through hardship, as I go through difficulty, it's available to me, I need to be receptive of it. So before going into description and the purpose of the trials the church is entering into, Peter makes what would seem to be a a, a statement that is even contradictory. Again, verse 2, the last part, grace to you and peace be multiplied, and entering into verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice, though now... For a little while, if need be, and we'll get into that, you have been grieved by various trials. Now remember Peter's purpose for writing this epistle. He's in Rome at this time, and he's probably soon to be martyred. I don't know if he knows this at this time or not. And so that being the case, as he's seen what's going on in Rome, Nero is the emperor. Nero, most historians believe, either biblical or, or secular historians believe that he was insane. And he's, these weird things are going on, the persecution of the Jews, persecution of the church. And Peter knows what happens, what goes on in Rome is going to spread out into the world. So what Peter is preparing, it's the same thing that the Spirit is preparing in your heart here today, is the trials that are sure to come in your life that God would minister to us and we'd be seeking after the Lord, that we would be people of prayer, just as Daniel was. Remember when they wanted to attack Daniel? This was a man of integrity. This was a man of character, and they couldn't find a way to attack him. And then finally they realized, and we see this even playing out in our society today, I can attack him based upon his faith. And they did. They, They attacked him in his prayer life. So you have this attack that entered into Daniel's life. Peter's concerned because you've got this trial and tribulation that's about to enter into the church outside of Rome. But as far as Daniel, Daniel was properly prepared through prayer in his relationship with God. So it wasn't so much an SOS prayer when the hardship entered in, but the hardship entered into a man who was prepared in his relationship with God. And it's part of the reason for you here today that you would be strengthened in your faith so that when the hard time comes, man's born to trials as surely as sparks fly upward, that you would be prepared in your relationship with God, that you would find contentment. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. It's a good thing to possess. It's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to be able to depend upon. Martin Luther said, Grace releases sin and peace makes the conscious quiet. The two fiends that torment us are sin and conscience. 
but Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trotted them underfoot, both in this world and that which is to come. Because what happens? You've got trials, and this is kind of what we saw when we studied the book of Job. You've got trials that enter in, and you think, first thing you think is, what did I do? Is God, God doesn't like me anymore? Has God forsaken me? Or did I mess up and I'm being punished? No, what, what's happening is, maybe you did mess up, but God is refining you. God wants you to grow and he wants you to advance in your Christian life. And so God allows the hardships in so that you would get it, so that you would depend upon him and that you would see his hand move in your life. And you would, as we saw in James chapter 1, you would move further down that, that road to maturity. Because think about this, the day that you were saved, God saved you of your sins. He saved you of your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. So he knew the sins that you were going to commit in the future, but he forgave them all. Now, I still need to repent, and I still need that constant cleansing, but as far as salvation is concerned, on the day that I was truly saved, God's released me, so then I can have a clear conscience. Now, think of how that is multiplied in the Jewish mind, as Peter would be well aware of this. For the Jew, you'd have to make the proper sacrifice. And what happens if you didn't keep the proper, make the proper sacrifice? What happens if you didn't keep all 613 commandments? I want to be right with God. Okay, I, I did this, I did this, and, and you have to go down all 613. And once again, I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many people here have the Ten Commandments memorized? Well, apart from Christ, that wouldn't be good enough. You need to have 613 of them memorized, and then you need to keep them. And we know the purpose is to reveal that we are sinners. And so my, my point is, the Jew, he would never really have a clear conscience. Did I mess up? Did I forget something? Hey, I stumbled yesterday. I ate a bat. You know, just, uh, I, I had lobster for dinner yesterday. You know, all these things were contrary to the law. And so there would be this constant thinking and wondering and worrying about your relationship with God. So our conscience is clear, and because our conscience is clear, I understand that the things that go on in my life are things that God is doing a work in my life. And some of them are going to go deep, some of them are going to hurt, we'll see that. There's no doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is God is doing a work in my life, not to put me down, not to punish me, but to grow me. And so in the things that you're going through, understand that and know that. Yeah, there's correction, don't get me wrong, but it's always correction for the purpose of moving further down the road in our belief. And so we're able to have perfect peace. In Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 4, in that day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulk works. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He trusts in God. Trust in the Lord forever for Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. And so even in the trials that I pretty much have manufactured in my life, even in the times when I've stumbled and fall or just transgressed, just outwardly sinned, now I'm not going to have peace until I have repentance. I have to make that right. There's no doubt about it, not for the purpose of losing or gaining salvation or, or whatever that might be, but because I am saved when I sin, I need to ask God for repentance. And there may be repercussions from that sin. 
And there will also be times of correction so that, again, I would be well prepared to move forward in my life. What is perfect peace? Perfect peace is the peace that we have with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But perfect peace is the peace also that we have from God. And Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. We're told to be anxious for nothing. And the idea is, why are you sitting around worrying all the time? Because when there's something that we think deemed necessary to worry about, Paul is going to say through the Spirit, take it to prayer. You're worrying, you're just, you know, worry is really prayer to nobody. But prayer, we understand that's conversation with God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then what's the result? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Kind of meditate on that last part. Take that out of here today and just kind of meditate on it. It will guard my heart, the inner man, minds, my thoughts through Christ Jesus. I mean, you sit there and watch the news, listen to the news, read the news, and all of a sudden your heart starts beating and you see, just see the wacky things or the tragedies that are going on across this world and you think, what kind of world is this? And then your mind, you, you're kind of going to freak out here and, you know, just this is just out of... Pray, pray. Because it says here, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. God will watch over those things. God will watch over the stress in your life. God will watch over the things that bring these things into our lives. But you've got to pray about it. You've got to seek the Lord about these things. You look out there and it just seems like Chicken Little has taken over. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is not falling. The sky is not falling. God is still in control and God is still seated upon the throne. And you're a favored child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you have access into that throne room. Keep in mind what the throne room is. It's the place where God exercises control over all creation. That there's nothing spinning out of control apart from the knowledge of God. It's important for you to know that. It was important for Peter to know that as well. And that's the point that he is trying to convey to those who he is writing to. So this being the case, regardless of situations or circumstances, the born-again believer should have joy in his life. This is just not dumb happiness, but joy based upon reality, reality of who God is, and also reality of the difficulties of this day, understanding that God's got it, that God is in control. Happiness is just an emotion that is based upon situations and circumstances, but joy is a continuous state of being through a relationship with God and the recognition of what he is able to do and how he does it. How is joy kept and maintained? I got a little bit of a list here. First, joy is kept and maintained by a constant knowledge of God's plan for your salvation. If you have come into the kingdom of God through faith, then obviously God's plan for salvation is for you, but you need to see how deep that is. It goes back to the beginning of the Bible. 
in the beginning God, and it goes from there all the way through to the day that you were saved, and that God had designs on you before you were even born. And that, once again, being the case, I need to draw hope from that. I need to draw strength from that. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. That means he's put his righteousness upon me. He sees me just as if I have never sinned. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns, adorns herself with jewels. So I've got the righteousness of Christ. When God sees me, when God sees you, He sees us as he sees his son. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus Christ never sinned. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus because as as his son who has never sinned, he sees us just as if we have never sinned because we've been washed by the blood of Christ. Secondly, joy is kept and maintained by a constant ear for the word of God that leads to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and all that Christ has done. And Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And so what were those tidings? What was salvation by grace through this baby that was going to come and and this child that was born? But there's going to be a lot of hardship and upheaval. But this was to be the priority. And so this is speaking of the time of the birth of Christ. How about the time of the birth of Christ in your life? The day that you were born again. The day that we were born again, God chose somebody to bring us the word and we got it. We understood it and we submitted our lives to it. And and that day that God saved you, he saved you in the midst of your lostness. He saved you, yet while you were still sinners, while you were still contrary to him, that God, God gave you grace. He brought you into his family. And the same God that brings us in is the same God that is able to keep us. And I need to hear what my God has to say for me. So I need to be into his word, because it's through his word that I come to a greater understanding of so great a salvation that I understand the details of it and the magnitude of it. If I'm ignorant of it, then I guarantee you, you're not going to have joy in your life, especially during these evil times. Thirdly, joy is kept and maintained by a constant realization of God never leaving us nor forsaking us. And how does that happen? How does that work? Well, we're not going to turn there. But if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, at the moment you were saved, at that time of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God came and dwelt inside of you. Now keep in mind, the Holy Spirit's not the power of God. He's God who empowers us. And he's God who will empower us during these difficult days to be able to have joy in this life. See, it's important that you come to an understanding of these things, but knowledge by itself doesn't help. You also have to receive these things, internalize these things, personalize these things to know that these things are things that God has given to me so that I would be able to have joy in this life. Now, what was your perception of religion before you were saved? Well, it was anything but joy. I always saw it as kind of a stoic existence. The more you're suffering, the godlier you were. The least amount of joy you had, the more pious you were. But that's not what the Bible says. The person that gets it, the person that receives it, and the person that does it is going to have joy in their lives. 
And again, that's going to be an expression of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now again, this is the joy that God has for us, but it's the joy that God has for us as we're doing all that he has called us to do. He strengthens us and he also strengthens others through us. And so how is the born-again believer strengthened? They're strengthened as we come together, as we gather together in church, as we gather together for fellowship, and we pray for those who are struggling. We support those who are struggling, and we're here for one another. It's how God moves. It's how God works. If you're running in at the beginning of service and running out at the end of service, you're not going to gather all that the Lord would have for you this day or any other day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, back in 1 Peter chapter 1, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. When he says in this, he's speaking of your protected eternal inheritance. And so... Because Rome, there's trials going on there, and there's trials coming to your town, to your church, don't think that God has left you. Don't think that God has abandoned you. Think of the people in the Middle East today. You know, there were a few years ago when ISIS was running rampage over it. God would speak to these people, and you're still mine. These difficult things are happening, but you've got to have this eternal perspective. And you can look at that, and yeah, people were martyred for their faith, and you can put them in a different category. But, but what are you struggling with today? What is the trial that is going on in your life today? These things that are written, that we're even studying today, are applicable to you. There's nobody above it, but even more important, there's nobody beneath it. You know, why would God really care about me or my trial? It's not that big of a deal. Well, your trial is anything that grieves you, and it's anything that has an effect upon you. So again, don't think it above you and don't think it below you. Understand that God is going to meet you where you are at, and God will meet you in a very personal way. And so this is a spiritual joy based upon God in reference to a continual relationship regardless of anything else. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, Blessed, or that word can also be translated content, are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I would imagine quite a few of us are going into homes of unsaved family and friends tomorrow, maybe even today because of the holiday, Labor Day. Blessed are you, you'll find contentment when they, unbelievers, revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What's our reaction? Usually we're kind of bummed out and we get quiet. I I can do that as well when being rejected by family can be a hard thing. But once again, that's a proof of our salvation and it's the reality of God who dwells inside of us when the world is unreceptive of us. So naturally speaking, biblically speaking, those things, they they should be there. They should be prominent. And and you need to see as a born-again believer, that's okay. That sets the uniqueness of you apart. We went up to Oregon a month or so ago and met um, some of my cousins that I haven't seen in about 30 years, whatever it's been. And now I just found out one of them, my, my cousin, 
uh, Jerry, his wife, died last night. And the, his first wife died in a car accident. And that was, I don't know, 20 years ago. Now another wife has died. She died of cancer. And, and so there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity to represent Christ. There's an opportunity for compassion that will touch a heart in the midst of a difficult situation. And so we maintain our walks and we maintain our relationship with Jesus Christ for so many reasons. Yeah, personally, there's no doubt about that. But also, you know, for the body of Christ, for sure. But also for those who are unsaved out there, that we would stand fast. So when given the opportunity, we would be able to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the key to joy in life and so much more is in the midst of a trial. In the midst of a trial, the key to joy in the midst of a trial, yeah, because that's where it's illuminated and that's where it is really set off. And we are told in Colossians 3, 2, to set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. So don't get involved. I can't say don't get involved. But don't, don't, don't focus on the trial in an improper perspective, just thinking that this is the end or, again, having an improper perspective of how God is using it. Be heavenly-minded, that these things are working together for God's good and for the future, a future and a hope for your life, but also through your life and in the lives of another. So I want to close this study, although I'm not closing, but close this study. Four things, four things that a Christian should keep in mind concerning the various trials that grieve us. Once again, I'd like for you to consider the trials that you are going through right now and how these things fit in. A list, I got four things. There's actually, if you go through the Bible, probably an innumerable amount of things, but these are the things that we see here and the things that God God has given to us today, God has given to you in your unique situation. First of all, again, verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Trial, a trial is for a season. Though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We enter into trials and we come out of trials. And as I say every time that I talk about trials, how long is it? Just as long is as is necessary. And what I mean by that, for God to do his work and for the result to come about in your life. Now, what happens when you're going through a trial? And we saw this once again in James chapter 1 as well. When the enemy tempts you, how is he tempting you? Well, I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this hardship. I'm being touched to the core of who I am. And then the enemy offers you an attractive, an easy way out of the trial. Now, keep in mind, God has brought this into your life for the purpose of change. Change needs to go deep. And so the trial that you're experiencing is something serious. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And if God's got three-week-long period of time here, and what happens if I cut it off at a week? You know, I, I find some worldly way of bailing out of it, or just as bad, and it can be hard as a parent or even a grandparent, bailing my child out of it. Then they're going to have to be constantly dealing with it because God's not going to give up. God is going to achieve his perfect will, and the trial is going to have its purpose. And so, is it going to just be, well, you bailed out after a week. God had three weeks, but now because you bailed out after a week, it's going to take how many years or whatever it might be. The hard things can be so hard to do or so hard to sit by and watch our loved ones go through, but God is God, and he's sovereign, and he knows what he's doing. 
And, and I ought not to get in the way of the Lord, but I ought to see these things as much as depends upon me to come to pass and to see God's perfect will. Think about it this way. Last Thanksgiving, how long did you keep the turkey in the oven? Until it was finished. Until it was finished. You didn't take it out premature. You didn't leave it in too long. Well, it's the same thing with God's turkeys. He's going to leave them in the oven (laughs) until they're finished. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings, and Paul experienced sufferings, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, we've had people in this church that have just gone through some pretty horrendous things, bigger things than I've gone through, but you know what? It doesn't even compare with the glory that we will see when we are in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. These things, the big picture, are but for a moment. Again, not downplaying them. They are serious and they are strong. There's no doubt about that. But at the end, we see that they're not even going to compare the glory that we will be in those days when we look up into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we are of the mindset now, you know, well, when I get there, I'm going to ask them why or how or who or whatever it might be. I think when you're in the splendor of glory, all these worldly questions, I don't know if you'll have knowledge of these things or if it just won't matter. Because again, you're going to be in the presence of God and not just in the presence of God, but in the presence of God with your loved one. Am I going to be in the presence of God with my dog and my cat? You know what? The Bible does speak in the millennial age of animals. I don't know. You're in the presence of Jesus Christ. It won't matter. And I was always of the mindset that, you know, like, for instance, my father. Am I going to know my father? I don't know if I'll know my father or not. Jesus is there. But I think we are going to have perfect knowledge as well. And there's just going to be this ultimate of fellowship with born-again believers that are together, you can look at it, we're not going to go there, but in Revelation chapter 5, that are just singing praises out to God, and oh, how our heart should yearn within us. But as for now, for, as Peter says, for a little while, these periods of trials that we are needing to go through, not have to go through, but God has determined that we need to go through them. Secondly, why do trials come? The easy answer is simply because they are necessary. Again, in verse 6, when Peter says, if need be. God, this doesn't throw trials your way. Just say, hey, let's see what Mike's doing. Today. Mike's, things are going pretty good for Mike. Let's upset it. Let's rock his world. That's not what God does. If need be. God has reason and purpose for the trials that you are experiencing them. And I guarantee you, if you pray for them eventually, he'll reveal what his reasons and purposes are. Trials are necessary because they serve a purpose according to God's plan. And maybe God's allowing you to go through a trial right now because that person over there is going to be going through a trial and he's preparing you to minister to that person. I don't know if I want to minister to that person that way. Well, you know, this is all about the Lord's will and not ours. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3. No one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. This is just going to be realities, trials in our lives. The, tell, the Bible tells us that some of God's purposes in our hardship are first to humble us. That We come to the point that we realize that well, I understand that God is God, and I understand that I'm not, but sometimes I get confused. 
sometimes I kind of put myself in his position in my life. And so God allows these things to humble ourselves. And, and, and not humble ourselves, but he humbles us. But as we become humble, what are we doing? We're recognizing that he is the one who is seated upon that throne. He is the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, and I'm not. I mean, as far as my trials, when you're in the midst of a trial, what's a question, a common question? What in the world is going on here? What, what's God doing here? And, and the point in all of that is you don't know. Not at that moment, but God knows. God knows exactly why he is doing it. He knows exactly how it's going to play out. He knows what the end of it is going to be. And so I simply need to humble myself and to stay connected with him and to realize the goodness of God. There was Jacob. Jacob was experiencing a huge trial. His brother Esau's coming. His scouts told him he's got 400 guys with him. And the last time he had seen Esau, Esau says, when I lay eyes on you again, I'm going to kill you. And so he's concerned about this. He's got his two camps. He had just left his father-in-law Laban, and he's got his two wives, and, and he's got all of their kids. And so what am I going to do? Well, Jacob, he was a schemer, and he was a conniver. So he's figuring out a plan, and he figures, well, I'll get one wife and all of her kids, and I'll put her over there. And then I'll get the other wife with her kids, and I'll put her over there. And then there's this river, and I'll camp out on the other side of the river. And when Esau comes, and if he attacks this camp, I'll get these guys, and we'll go run. I mean, that's his plan. Plan, solution for a trial is to run. And so if they attack those guys, then I'll get these guys, and, and, and I'll run. But the Bible says that he wrestled with God all night long. He wrestled with the Lord, and I would imagine his will against the will of God. And then he asked God to, to, to bless him. I'm not going to let go of you until, until you bless me. And so what did God do? How did he bless? He, he blessed him by humbling him. The Bible says that he touched the socket of his hip and he knocked it out of joint. <laughs> Think of that next time you pray for a blessing. <laughs> but it was a blessing because once you start running from God, you'll never stop running. And God had made the determination, Jacob, he didn't say this, but he made the determination, Jacob, you're going to run no more. You're going to be unable to run. And what does that mean? He's going to have to completely depend upon God. And what happened? God had already gone before him and worked on the heart of Esau so that when they came together, they hugged and kissed one another. How many times have you been worried about something, stayed awake at night and the whole thing, and it just consumed your life, and then finally it came to pass, and you thought, that wasn't that big of a deal. Well, God's already gone before you. God has gone before you, and he will enable you in all that goes on. Deuteronomy 8.3, So he humbled you in the trial that the Jews experienced in the wilderness, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which, with which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Secondly, why are trials necessary? To tear us away from dependency on the world and the desires of the world. In John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And so God's wanting to take you away from that dependency of the world. And even deeper than that, and even your own intellect. We're told there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. And so God is wanting to take us away from our worldly ways, being like Jacob and our schemes and all of that, and just have perfect dependency upon him. Next, trials are necessary because they teach us the value of God's blessings. In 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. And so as you go through these hardships, they teach us and train us to recognize the blessings of God, but be receptive of the blessings of God and enjoying the blessings of God. Somebody once asked this man who was hitting his thumb with a ball-peen hammer, why are you hitting your thumb with a ball-peen hammer? And he says, because it feels so good when I stop. I don't know if that's a good illustration here. But what you need to learn is, my point is, is that as you're going through this trial, when you see the hand of God and you see the deliverance of God, rejoice in the grace of God. Because again, we fall into routine so easily and we take the blessings of God, the granite, so often and God allows trials to enter in so that his grace would be magnified. Next, trials come into our lives to prepare us to help others. I stated that earlier, the trials that you have experienced are for your purposes, but also for the purpose of you being used in somebody else's life. If you lost a loved one, if you lost a job, if your health is bad, whatever it might be, you can receive from somebody who hasn't experienced those things, but how much more from somebody who has experienced those things are you going to be able to relate? Because what's the question? Well, what did you do? Well, this is what I did, and this is what I saw God doing, and so on and so forth. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The Lord comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So just as God moved in your life, he will use you to work through your life into the life of somebody else who is suffering. Next, trials do come from the effects of sin. Job 5.17, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That God, he did not want to leave you in your sinful state before you were saved. So he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, who then somebody witnessed the Lord to you. But even as a believer that you would not be void of the blessings of God and be using by God because you maintain a sinful life, but God brings trials to reveal those sins. You know, somebody who is, well, won't go into details, but nonetheless, just the effects of sin and the effects that they're able to have upon even a born-again believer physically, spiritually, God allows these things so that we reach out to him. And trials build Christian character. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, that somebody would see you as a mature Christian and it would have effect upon them. Moving on, we also see that trials, they bring grief. Again, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Grief, it's sadness, sorrow, disappointment, anxiety even. A trial is going to bring that into your life, and don't think any less of yourself because you experience grief. The Bible tells us that we mourn, we just 
don't mourn as those who have no hope. We're told this in Second uh, First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. But the fact of the matter is, we do mourn. When, when something overwhelming happens, we're, we're sad. There, there's grief that enters in and sorrow. And sometimes it's going to seem overwhelming, and that's okay. Because what is grief? Grief is God tapping you on your heart, wanting to get your attention. Look where you're at. Look what's going on. Here I am. I'm here for you. If that grief never entered in, you probably wouldn't seek after God to the degree that God desires for you to uh, seek him out. So again, grief, God tapping on your heart to get your attention. Just as surely as pain reveals a problem, grief reveals a situation as well. And then the last thing about trials, there are a variety of them. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And I've stated this before whenever I speak of trials. God's got a custom trial just for you. Just for you. And your trial isn't going to be my trial. My trial isn't going to be your trial. Why? Because God's doing a specific work in the midst of your life. And you can think, how come I got to go through this? And that person doesn't. Maybe that person would rather go through what you're going through than what they're going through. Why? Because God understands who you are. He knows your personality. He knows the changes that need to be made. And so he's got this, if you will, custom-designed trial to achieve the purpose that he wants to achieve in your life. Maybe he doesn't want to achieve the exact same purpose in that other person's life, so they're going through that trial. And so you need to understand and take possession of your trials. God, what exactly are you trying to do? But also, don't look down your nose at somebody else's trial. Know that that trial is real in their lives. I mean, we can look at somebody else's trial and think, what's the big deal? I could do that trial in my sleep. Well, that's all fine and dandy. Well, God will send you one then to really get your attention. But that trial is real in that person's life. And so God is sending that person into your life to be his representative. Verses 6 through 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness or the reality of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I'm just going to close with this one thought. Notice how in this chapter up to this point, the Apostle Peter here now, he goes in this big circle. He's ministering to these churches that are going to come under intense persecution, big trials, just like we will to some degree this coming week. But he takes in this big circle. First, verses 1 through 4, God chose you. How do I know that God chose me? My faith. We're told in 1 John that for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How do I know that I have true saving faith? Well, one of the means which God reveals that is is perseverance through trials. And what is the result of true saving faith? Well, he says here in verse 9, receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How can I be sure of all of this? Well, Peter now goes back at the beginning, verse 2, if you will, hypothetically, you have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. But how do I know? Your faith. 
How do I know if I have true saving faith? Perseverance through trials. And what is the result of true saving faith? The salvation of my soul. How can I be sure of this? You're elect. And you can keep going and going and going. But we have to go. Hospitality's got hospitality out there and it's going to go bad and everything. But embrace that. Embrace it. Understand that in the midst of your trial, it's not my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hasn't forsaken you at all. Matter of fact, you've got his full attention. My God, my God, why won't you ignore me might be a better term. But God doesn't do that. He said he will never leave you nor forsake you because you're a work in progress. You're a work in progress. The problem, my wife would tell you, of some of my works in progress at our home, I don't always finish things. I like breaking things and demoing things. That's fun. But bringing things to finish, it's not one of my strong suits. Not so much anymore, but there's still some projects that are left undone at home. God, God leaves nothing undone. God will never leave you undone. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us Lord, just these situations and circumstances that occurred so long ago, but God are still applicable to our lives. Trials and tribulations are always applicable. And so, Father, just as there are those who are experiencing them now, and there will be those who come to experience them this week, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward, I pray, Lord, that we would be well prepared. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and it's going to get our attention, and it's going to draw us away for a period of time. But I pray, Father, that we would be of the mindset to truly seek you out, and that, Father, you would truly guard our hearts and minds to your glory. And so, Father, we just lift up this day. We thank you for your church and how you're mindful of this church, how, Father, you give us these lessons for the purpose of doing. And as you do, God, just once again, be glorified through our humble lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. Next Sunday evening at 4.30 in the high school room, we are going to be having a leadership meeting. Anybody involved in leadership, I encourage you to come. Anybody that just wants to come is welcome to come as well. Our anniversary slash baptism is coming up on the 23rd. We're going to have a special service that morning. That's Sunday morning. Special service that morning and just celebrating being Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Uh, We're also later on going to have a baptism. The baptism is going to be at Frank's house, uh, Frank and Darlene's house. Um, We have maps at the information booth. We would like, if you're going to be baptized, are you going to come to sign up? Uh, Just so we get an idea on how many people are are going to be there. Couples retreat is coming up. Richard and Rosemary are going to be speaking to us uh, next Sunday morning. They're going to be Uh, coming up at the pulpit and speaking about it. And then one last thing, um, it's been in the bulletin for a couple of weeks, apologetics conference. Um, What it is, it's designed to prepare our youth, our high school age kids, to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within them. You know, some of these questions that they may even ask you and you're not even sure of the answers, that's the reason and purpose for it. There is a cost to it, it's $35. Uh, We've only had, I think, one person sign up for it. And so we are taking sign-ups at the information booth. Um, Even if you can't pay right now, you need to get signed up for it, because if not, we'll probably uh, probably just uh, cancel it. Other than that, we'll have a couple up here for prayer. Tonight, we're going to be starting the book of 1 Chronicles, so I encourage you to come tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless you guys.
can't see. Waters raging at my feet, I can't feel. Breath of those surrounding me, I can't hear. The sound of nations rising up, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. I can't walk down this dark and painful road, I can't face. Every fear of the unknown, I can't hear. All God's children singing out, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. The same power that was Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us, lives in us. We have hope that his promises are true in his strength. There is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know. There are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. Same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake. Lives in us. Lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm a raging sea. Lives in us. Lives in us, he lives in us, lives in us. Greater is he that is living in me, he's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails, we stand here in victory. conquered our enemy oh no power of darkness no weapon prevails we stand here in victory oh in victory the same power that rose Jesus from the grave the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us lives in us same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. He lives in us. Lives in us. Lives in us. Good afternoon. God bless you guys. And remember that power lives in us. God bless you. There's prayer up front.